We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, the Australian legend, Jack Manuel. How you doing, Jack? Very well, Nicholas. Uh, plenty of Nets talk today, and the Nets are getting on a, a lot of buzz, not just on the Brooklyn Buzz, but a lot of buzz in general on Twitter, uh, the draft surrounding us. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, it seems like the offseason's really building up, and people are excited for what the Nets can do. They've been pretty active the last two years around the draft. Obviously, uh, last year, the D'Angelo trade happened that week, and then the year before, they made the move for Karis LeVert trading Thad Young. But before we get started, just a reminder, you can check out all the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OGBasketball.com, Google Play, and Dash Radio. Jack and I just wrapped up a great draft episode with Dylan Jackson. Also, we got our season review series on there. But today, all off-season talk. So uh, it's going to be a good show. Plenty of storylines to start off with, though, Jack. What's your favorite storyline going to the offseason? Is it the Nets trades? Is it how competitive they want to be next season? Or is it just player development? I'm really looking forward to being surprised by Sean Marks, Nick. Um, I, I don't know about anyone else, but it just feels like he's got something up his sleeve. We saw what happened on draft night last year uh, in terms of the D'Angelo, Brooke Lopez, uh, Kyle Kuzma now uh, trade with Tim Van Mosgott. No one, there were mild rumblings, as you mentioned, uh, that Woj sort of hinted at, but no one sort of saw them coming to fruition in such a, a real meaningful way and such a quick way. I feel like Sean Marks is one of those guys that likes to get it done, you know, get on with business and sort of, you know, keep things as open as possible so we can keep on making those moves and making the team better. Um, I just got the, this feeling in my uh, in my Brooklyn bones that there's going to be something happening on draft night. And, I mean, it's going to be a wild one, you know, for Nets fans, but uh, plenty of other fans as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens uh, for us around the draft period. Yeah, like you said, Sean Marks in the front office keep everything very low-key. Nothing usually slips out unless it's from another team. 
And they've been very active in the trades, especially around draft time. And then going to this draft, there's just a ton of teams that are looking to get off salary. So the Nets are in a great situation. We'll definitely be talking trades. But to start off, let's look at the cap situation, Jack. You know, the Nets have the potential to have a max cap space of 16.5 mil, projected space around 14 mil. What are your thoughts on the space? Yeah, that space, I think, Nick, um, I reckon we take on some some dead salary, you know, some salary dumps. I think that's the most productive use of that salary. Uh, I'm not sure how other people feel about it, but the Nets, and for a lot of these sort of teams around who are at our market, are sort of building up to sort of being a successful franchise, a playoff franchise, um, you need to sort of, you know, get, build up your sort of asset, build up your tools in that sort of sense. Sean Marks has done that in the past. Uh, I can't see him not doing that, um, obviously, with this sort of space. You know, it's not enough money to sort of you know, go after a sort of free agent. Um, I think Marcus Smart would probably command around that money, but I don't see him as a fit at all. Uh, but players sort of around that sort of market, I just don't think that they fit well with the Nets right now. You know, Jabari Parker might get that money. We've talked about him on previous podcasts, but I don't see him, you know, sort of fitting well with our franchise in our direction. Uh, I think the, the most productive use of that sort of salary cap is to, you know, sort of take on that, um, take on bad assets, get some good assets, whether they be picks uh, or maybe a, a young flyer, uh, depending on what sort of um, cap the other teams are at. But uh, that's just my opinion. Nick, you, you on the same page? Yeah, no, I'm on the same page, Jack. I don't think there's anybody at this point in time where the Nets are in their timeline to really add. This would be good money to add, like, that one more piece to kind of push you over the top. The Nets, I think, like you said, best off kind of working in trades. Is that taking on a salary dump? Is that taking on a young player that maybe a team's given up on, a la D'Angelo Russell? And I think flexibility is important. I don't think they want to take on a contract unless it's a really good pick. I think they're looking more so for like one-year salary dumps, you know, expiring deals like that Kenneth Freed deal that we'll talk about a little bit later. But coming, you know, uh, 2020 and 2021, I think they want to have that cap space. And then, you know, obviously next year they have to worry about, you know, either extending D'Angelo Russell this offseason or Rondé this offseason if they want to keep those guys. So I think keeping the money flexible is important. Like you said, don't don't go spend the cap on something that's not really going to matter. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And obviously, there's been some rumblings around Timothy Mozgov uh, and his agents, sort of whether they're sort of you know get, wanting a buy it or a trade. Um, I think that that's sort of been slightly re, um, slightly refuted, uh, or I'm not 100 percent sure what the direction that is. But I don't see the Nets sort of doing anything along with that with their sort of money. Um, I saw someone tweet out the other day, um, Ben Steiner. Uh, crazy to think about. Deron Williams has been paid. 200 grand every 15 days by the Nets for the last three years, and that's going to continue for two more years. So we're still paying Doran Williams. I don't want to pay any more money, dead money, to Timothy Mozgov. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'll stretch. If anything, I think maybe a buyout for Mozgov if he be, you know, started to cause problems and was like a locker room issue. But I think, like you said, they don't want to stretch anybody out and have to pay them. The fact that we're having to pay Darren Williams five, 5.4 mil this season and 5.4 mil next season really hurts. You know, they'd have almost $20 million in cap space this offseason. They didn't have Darren Williams on the books. So, like I said, that 2020-2021 offseason I think is going to be big. That's when Moskov, Darren Williams, Alan Crapp all come off the books. There'll be plenty of cap space going around. But looking at some of the expiring contracts, obviously we got Jeremy Lin at 12.5, Damari Carroll at 15.4, and then Dinwiddie at 1.6. Out of the expiring guys, who do you think is the most likely to be traded? Most likely to be traded seems like Spencer did. What do you mean? Uh, we've had a lot of rumblings with Charlotte, um, sort of, you know, whether they're going to sort of uh, trade um, Dwight Howard in, in a sort of package deal for us to move up in the draft and for them to move down a little bit, get, get rid of some salary. Uh, I think Spencer did when he has the most uh, market friendly contract, as we mentioned on our previous, uh, more, more of our previous pods. Uh, Damari Carroll um, has a likelihood, 
uh, just because of his fit and his need and his production from last season. But as you mentioned on a previous pod as well, um, uh, his locker room presence and the value he has and he can add uh, in terms of sort of being at that leadership and mentor role is sort of second to none. Also, and when you're looking at Spencer Dilley and Jeremy Lin, uh, it's sort of like, you know, um, you're comparing apples and apples. Both of them are very similar players in terms of they, they feel a need at a position. But in terms of Jeremy Lin's contract being $12.5 million, uh, Spencer Dilley, are you going to extend him? Um, the Nets might have to make that decision very soon. Uh, maybe that they want to leave that to another team. Uh, Jeremy Lin has marketability and is a, a great six-man uh, I think wherever he would go, if he were to stay healthy, whether it's the Nets or elsewhere, he'd be definite six-man-of-the-year candidate. Um, we saw that in Charlotte uh, and, and obviously in New York, the, the Lynn Sanity era. And, you know, he's had he's had his moments uh, with our Nets as well. So if I'm ranking, I'm going one Spencer Dinwiddie, I'm going two Damari Carroll, I'm going three Jeremy Lin. What do you yeah, think? I think you're spot on, Jack. You know, not only is Dinwiddie probably had the most value because he's the youngest, but his contract is super friendly in a time where nobody has cap space. So getting a player of Dinwiddie's caliber at 1.6 mil, obviously you have to worry about him the next offseason. But if you're just trying to make that run right now and you kind of test them out and see how it works with your team. And you mentioned Damari's a good fit with a lot of teams. It is a little bit harder to trade 15.4. You know, a lot of these teams don't have a cap space and the Nets would have to take something back. So it would have to work out in the Nets' favor. And Jeremy Lin, you know, if he was healthy, I think his contract would be a lot more movable. But the fact that he's coming off an injury, uh, especially a potential attended injury in his knee you know and he's had the injury history it's going to be a lot harder to try to move his deal and like you said you know the Nets might want to keep him for marketability and just things along those lines he's also a veteran presence especially if you trade a guy like Damari Carroll yeah I think all those points are, are super valid and it'll be interesting to see what Sean Marks does do um, you know we obviously uh, gave Spencer his chance and over the last sort of season and a half he's he's proven it and then um, and wherever he goes you know uh, similar to like a Joe Harris type you know they deserve to, to eventually get the sort of payday that they deserve, as do all players who put up that production and are sort of putting in the work. So wherever Spencer did what he is, uh, whatever uniform he's wearing next year, be it a Nets one or an opposing team, um, I hope he has the, the same level of production and an even better season than last. Yeah, and like you said, especially for guys like Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, who've kind of bounced around a little bit and they're unsure of their NBA careers, when they get the chance to get a big payday, I'm sure they're going to capitalize on that. But talking uh, on guaranteed contracts, obviously Dinwiddie's not guaranteed, but we're definitely going to keep him. What about Isaiah Whitehead? Oh, Whitehead. Isaiah Whitehead at 1.5 mil. Do you think there's a chance that they kind of waive his contract, or do you think they're going to keep him? Look, it's it looks increasingly likely that he he might be at the door, Nick. Like you look at the amount of point guards the Nets have right now. Uh, it, it seems like a a surplus of riches in terms of that position, but obviously not having the sort of superstar in that sense to be able to sort of stand out from the crowd. Dilo, we we know he wants to be that sort of guy. Um, Isaiah Whitehead showed glimpses throughout the year, and we mentioned him um, in some games where we had those guard injuries. He stepped up. Um, there were times he showed some good energy on the floor, but I can't see him filling a need for this Nets roster right now um, unless we do have you know, maybe even off-season injuries or summer league injuries in that sense. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to sort of keep him on the roster, um, especially if we're going to be looking at drafting even more younger assets in the draft. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but uh, it, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I think um, it depends on the sense like, you know, if the Nets have the cap and there's no reason to cut him, they won't cut him. But if there's a deal or he's involved in the trade because he's not a bad trade filler at 1.5 and non-guaranteed so the other team could just waive him with no charge. So I think that would be something to consider in using him in a trade package as well. But like you said, you know, long term, especially with the guard surplus that we already have, it doesn't necessarily make sense to keep him around. And in no disrespect to him, I just don't know how high his ceiling is or what role he could really bring to the Nets. 
no. And, you know, we've already got, like sorry, like we were sort of mentioning with Dinwiddie and Lynn, both of those guys could be easy six-man-of-the-year contenders, you know, um, facilitate a sort of bench unit, uh, the reserve unit. Um, Dilo, we, we know what his ceiling is. Um, we want it to be sort of a top 20, top 30 player. Karis LeVert has that sort of untapped ceiling. Um, but even, yeah, Isaiah Whitehead, his ceiling, you know, it's not necessarily... Is it? We don't know what it is. Uh, is it a reserve player? Um, what's his future in the NBA right now? He's got um, plenty of tools and, and, and a decent enough skill set and you know good energy. Um, and, and I'll be surprised if someone doesn't take a flyer on him. You know, maybe uh, a, a fellow summer league team uh, brings him in for some sort of workouts and maybe he gets a go over there. Um, but I, I can't see him. Uh, being in the Nets uniform. And he has shown his glimpses over the past couple of years as well. So it would definitely be sad to see him go. Yeah, I, like I said, if there's no deal that there's a need to trade him or move him, I think they do keep him. I believe his contract becomes guaranteed at the end of the month on the 30th. So they'll have to make a decision on that before then. Also, uh, I just saw this in a Nets Daily article, offseason report number 10. It was very interesting. A lot of people were wondering why they kept Randy Foyce, a $3 million cap hold on the, on the books. And the reason they did that is so they can operate as a team that's over the cap in certain situations if hypothetically they were to make a trade and then they'd have the MLE and the BA, which is the biannual exception. So they're able, it's just such a clever move by Sean Marks and he's always just doing something very low key that you don't think about, but Sean Marks and his team are on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when we sort of talked about that Joe Harris couldn't get that mid-level exception around that sort of money. Um, There's different sort of players that like, you know, uh, when Jeremy Lin had that injury, there were talks about having what were we going to do with the, the sort of injury exception with him as well. Uh, Sean Marks is a very savvy GM. Uh, I think I saw the other day in a uh, ESPN article um, they were talking about the the teams who used uh, the best sort of analytics um, in terms of influencing their franchise in terms of drafting and, and on court and off court play. And our Nets were in the top five there. Um, for those that didn't uh, read that report, you know we were alongside teams like the Celtics, the Spurs. Um, the Houston Rockets, uh, and I believe I think the Thunder were the other team as well. So all great company, all great company. You know, all great GMs right there: Sam Presti, Daryl Morey, Danny Ainge, um, R.C. Buford. You know, those are all elite GMs. And Sean Marks has had one uh, season with this sort of franchise, and he's already making moves uh, like no other. And you know, he's building this team from the ground up. And you know, the fact that he's able to do such little savvy things that. Maybe the, the everyday fan might not see, uh, but it's certainly not going uh, uncredited behind closed doors. And another shout-out to Sean Marks and his staff. They, I think I believe I saw in Nets Daily, they scouted over 60 players for this yeah. draft. And what they're doing is, and they did this, I believe, last year as well, they're just building up their scouting database. When that comes to free agency, playing those players, they just already have so much knowledge on all these players, and they just keep acquiring and acquiring. And moving forward, it's going to be a lot bigger. So just, again, Sean Marks on top of everything. Um Talking a little bit more salary cap, I believe it's starting uh, this summer at some point. Deronde Hollis-Jefferson and D'Angelo Russell will be up for extensions. Do you think either of these guys get it done or it's going to be next year? What do you think is going to happen with these two? I think that it's likely. Obviously, uh, D'Lo seems a lot more likely, Nick, in terms of what we gave up for him and in terms of uh, where this franchise is going. But I think that um, Sean Marks certainly won't be throwing out money left, right, and center. Um, Rondé's obviously been thrown around in trades as well. Um, I saw Bobby Marks in his uh, off-season report of all the teams uh, said that he thinks that they should make it a priority to extend Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Um, I don't think it would be priority number one, um, but it'd certainly be up there if um, he were to still be on the roster uh, come the start of the season and even at the trade deadline. Um, there's, I'm not really sure. Uh, the, the draft and the, the salary cap mechanics uh, are a little bit beyond me. I've done my research a little bit, but it's still 
Obviously, with the amount of money that the Nets have, they want to have going forward. They, do they want to attract a, a big-time free agent, like you mentioned, in 2020. Um, we've got so many young assets that are going to be owed money in the future at some stage um, in terms of the way that they're building. Uh, you know, Jared Allen, even in three years' time, uh, Spencer Dimity talked to him as being a top-five center. If you're a top-five center, you're going to be getting paid. So it's all these things that we underestimate um, the job of a GM that he has to do. And this D'Lo, uh, Rondé, Hollis, Jefferson situation uh, in terms of their contracts is one that um, is certainly not an easy one. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, I think this is a reason why they might be trying to move Rondé. You know, there's been a lot of reports about them kind of packaging him with a 29 pick, trying to move up him or Dinwiddie. If they can kind of avoid from having to make this decision themselves and putting on somebody else, it'll help. And like you said, D'Angelo, I think they'd like to negotiate. But also, I think from D'Angelo's perspective, he didn't have a great season last year with injury. So moving forward this year, he might try to ball out and try to work up his value. You know what I mean? So I think that's something to consider. I think in a perfect world, if they both these guys are on the team moving forward next season, they'd like to get them to a team-friendly deal, especially if they extend them. Because if it goes to restricted free agency, you know, you never know what can happen. There can be a team like the Nets in the past and offer your free agent max money or money that you didn't necessarily want to pay him. Yeah, you look at the dealer situation with the injuries and such, and you you can make maybe a mild comparison to Stephen Curry and how his ankle injuries allowed the, the Golden State Warriors to sign into a four-year, $44 million deal. And along the way, he wins two MVPs, and they're able to get Kevin Durant and build a, a franchise like no other. Um, if the Sean Marks, I'm sure, may be looking at that situation and going, well, we've got a star, we've got a possible star here. Could he reach his potential and be that sort of you know, top 20 guy, you know, top five sort of point guard in that sort of conversation? If we get into a cap friendly situation, we may be able to attract other free agents to build around him, like uh, similar with the, the KD sort of situation. So uh, it'll certainly be an interesting one and one to keep an eye on. But I'm sure D'Lo will certainly be focusing on uh, what's best for him, and Sean Marks will be thinking about what's best for the franchise. Exactly. And that's pretty much how it always is. And kind of moving away from the cap a little bit. What are some team needs from you? It can be a player. It could be a specific area. The Nets need help. What are you thinking? I'm thinking uh, stretch four, Nicholas. Um, I, I think that, you know, we there was talk, uh, heavy talk about Javari Parker and Aaron Gordon uh, before sort of fans sort of started to realize that they may not be the perfect fit going forward. Um, you know, I like guys like even like Nemanja Bielitsa, and we'll talk about other sort of targets, uh, Hazonia, guys that can sort of space the floor a little bit, um, the sort of fit Kenny system. I feel like guys that just sort of fit that system are, are perfect going forward. You know, on team-friendly deals, guys that may have a point to prove uh, in that sort of sense. You know, get some 3 and D wings, you know. Every team needs them like no other, uh, but I think the Nets are certainly... Uh, high on that sort of list that sort of need them to sort of fill out their roster and sort of uh, make them a bit more balanced in that sense because, you know, the guards, are, the guards are taken care of in a sense, you know, if they start to realize and sort of hit that sort of peak. Uh, the front court is, the, the the fire position is fine if you get a Jared Allen, um, but obviously there's talk about Dwight Howe, which we'll mention further. But it's fine with Jared Allen going forward if, if he continues to go on his trajectory. But if for me, that that four, that three, four position, you know, Demario Carroll's going to be on his way out. Um, I'm sure they'll play Alan Crabbe and Joe Harris at those sort of points. But if they're looking for a guy, you know, to sort of be that starter going forward, we're sort of still missing that sort of 3-4 position for me. Yeah, no, I like the stretch four for sure, just in Kenny's system. If that means bringing back one of the guys or just going out in free agency and getting one of the younger guys. And then also on the wing, you know, a two or a three, just like an athletic freak. You know, they have a lot of shooters, a lot of skilled guys. I'm thinking like somebody who's got, you know, some great measurements, somebody who can get up and dunk play high energy, play good defense. I think that's what you're looking for on the wing. And then even at the center position or the four, maybe just another athletic big to back up Jared Allen, someone who plays a little bit more similar than him. 
to him, you know, than some of the guys they have. Obviously, Okafor and Mozgov did not fit fit the bill, but uh, for team needs, I think that's about it, you know. And then defense, obviously, always, you know, a little bit of defense, a little bit of rebounding, and then shooters always help. Yeah, I think all of those sort of needs are, are what a lot of different teams need. But in Coach Kenny's system, those are literally the prototypical things that you want. Um, there's a lot of, obviously, uh, young guys that we might even draft that could fill that need going forward. Um, if we're able to get into the teams, you know, we could certainly get a guy that could start. And obviously, with the player development uh, of the Brooklyn Nets franchise that's uh, reached, um, seen dividends, you know, it's there's not nothing to say that we couldn't see a first year player sort of uh, fill that void as we saw Jared Allen do. Um, he sort of found that starting position towards the end of the season. We could see um, one of the guys that we mentioned on our uh, draft sort of preview pod with uh, Dylan Jackson. You know, one of those guys that we were sort of chatting about, whether it's you know, one of the guys in the, at twenty nine possibly, or even a guy you know like from eleven to to seventeen. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, and you've made a great point with Jared Allen. Not only could they maybe possibly come in and start, but it could be similar to the Allen situation where they kind of worked their way up a few months and then later in the season they're starting and you kind of believe in them moving forward as a key piece of the team. But looking at team free agents, we'll start restricted. Nick Stauskas in his qualifying offer of $4.6 million. Do you think the Nets extend the qualifying offer or they kind of let uh, Stauskas walk? I mean, the hot sauce was hot uh, a couple of times, uh, mainly in Toronto. I feel like, you know, he's the Canadian native certainly – uh, loves his hot poutine up there, but I don't see him um, unless uh, something drastic happens, and I'd be I'd be very shocked. Uh, l- let's put it that way. Yeah, I agree. I think there's really, especially at that point, I think they would be better off, you know, not offering the qualifying offer, and then if he wants to come back on a cheap, unrestricted deal, kind of yeah. wave his cap hold or whatever, and do that, and then bring him back because he didn't really show a ton, and he had some opportunities where guys were banged up to kind of step up, and he really didn't impress. But unrestricted wise, uh, Joe Harris, Jalil Okafor, Dante Cunningham, Quincy AC. Let's start with your guy, Joe Harris. Joe Harris. Uh, what do we say, Nicholas? We talked about him a little bit on the Pacific Div- Division preview. Um, I did in terms of um, how the Golden State Warriors could be clamoring for his services. Um, I mean, if I were to hate the Golden State Warriors even more, I feel like taking my man Joe Harris away from me uh, would be the prototypical reason to just go, okay, well, I can't stand this franchise anymore. But I feel like Joe Harris is going to be uh, a key priority for the Nets offseason uh, in terms of re-signing him. Um, you know, we've talked uh, talked to death about his sort of uh, love for the franchise, his love for New York, uh, and his just general fit and his, his incredible season that he had uh, absolutely skyrocketing. Um, the potential that he sort of showed uh, in glimpses in Cleveland and, and other teams. So I think Joe Harris uh, is going to be a, a definite priority. Um, but it, it, in fact, probably the biggest priority out of all our unrestricted free agents. I don't think Quincy AC, Dante and, and Jalil uh, will be getting much as much attention, if any, uh, in comparison to, uh, the, to, to my man. Hmm, to your man, Joe, Joe Harris coming in. I think you were right, Jack. I think he's the number one priority. The other guys, I don't think they're too concerned with. Out of everybody in the free agent market for the Nets team, that's the only guy they really want to bring back. And they can get him on a relatively team-friendly deal. I think Joe Harris said he wants to be back and Sean Marks wants him back. But obviously the numbers have to work. And he's a hot commodity with his three-point shooting and his ability to kind of you know put some good effort in defensively, drive to the rim. He's a guy a lot of teams would be interested in, and he's a guy that a lot of teams can actually afford because he could, you know, use some of your MLE or even some teams think he can be the mini MLE. So it's a real possibility to lose him, but I have a good good feeling the Nets should be able to keep him. 
I hope those good feelings are uh, can send them over to London for me, Nick, or wherever <laughs> I'm going for it, because um, I'm going to need them. Because I'm certainly hoping he's going to be on the team. But yeah, it certainly bodes well uh, that Joe Harris is saying all the right things, despite you know all obviously his status and and you know his play. It's it's perfect for the modern NBA. And obviously, you know, there's a time right now is probably the time you can get him on a team friendly deal because that cap is obviously so restricted. And going forward, you know, come 2020, 2021. That cap may even extend a little bit, and you know whether you want to front load or back load that contract, um, whether it's uh, four, five years, or three years, uh, however you want to do it. I feel like you know um, Joe Harris and the and then his franchise, they'll be uh, and his agent. I think there'll be some productive conversations happening, and I feel like it'll be uh, a relatively friendly back and forth. Yeah, and it's he's a great complimentary player, no matter who the Nets go with moving forward, you know, what pieces they add or whatnot. Having a, a three point shooter like him on the roster always help. But talking Okafor. You think he's gone? Yeah, look, it, it seems likely, Nick. Um, it it may be. Uh, obviously, the burner accounts, uh, the burner account saga revealed some things as well in terms of his dedication, in terms of his uh, mindset, similar to with the Nerlens Noel. Um, I'm unsure why the Nets would keep him on. Maybe taking another flyer on him, uh, seeing how he goes in the off season, seeing. Um, what his dedication to the game is like, seeing where his head's at, seeing where he is physically. Um, you know, if the Nets can get some of these guys, Dante, Quincy, uh, Jalil, at minimum contracts, you know, it, it's worth a flyer on them because there is certain uh, needs that they can fill and there's certain potential that a guy, a young guy like Jalil Okafor has being such a high pick. But in saying that as well, Nick Stauskas was a top five pick. So sometimes your uh, your draft status doesn't necessarily indicate your uh, fit in today's NBA. Um, so I think Jalil is unlikely to be in a Nets uniform, but at the same time, um, if anyone's going to get something out of him, it'll be this Brooklyn squad. Yeah, that, I think if he comes back on the cheap and the Nets don't have anybody else to fill out the roster spot, maybe they consider bringing him back. But he doesn't seem like he wants to be back. He, he did make some uh, you know, remarks at the end of the season that he was unsure why he didn't get playing time and he thought that he was going to play more and all that. But Cunningham and AC, what do you think on those? Do you think it's one of those guys is coming back or both of them are gone? Coach Kenny seems to have, um, I'm not sure if it's a rational love uh, or an irrational love for Quincy AC, but he harps on the, the spacing that he provides despite the fact that um, he is as hot and cold as Katy Perry's hit track. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's intriguing to me um, the, the love that he gets. I love the energy that he brings and we've talked about um, many a times on this podcast about his hot and cold nights and, and what he can do and, and in that sort of sense. I feel like if we get another complimentary guy, another guy who has his skill set in terms of that three-point shooting that's elevated, then I don't mind keeping him on a, on a team-friendly minimum sort of deal. Uh, the same can be said of Dante Cunningham. These two guys probably have similar skill sets. I really like what Dante did um, and, and that really sort of low-key move um, that Sean Marks did. A guy who started for the New Orleans Pelicans, a franchise uh, who made the playoffs, a team that made the playoffs this year. Um, he certainly wasn't a world-beater in any sense, but there were nights where his rebounding and his three-point shooting um, was a key cog in getting some wins. Um, so unlike maybe... I wouldn't be surprised if both of these guys are there, but it depends on what the Nets are, are looking at in terms of their salary cap and, and what they value. Um I personally, as a personal opinion, would prefer to have Dante Cunningham, uh, but that's just a, a personal bias that I share. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I think I would prefer Cunningham as well. You know, AC maybe play a little bit harder, have a little bit more energy, but Cunningham I think is better overall. He makes smarter basketball plays, and he has somewhat of ability to finish inside once in a while, where every time AC gets the ball out of the rim, how many times have we seen him airball it or just like completely miss? And then you mentioned Cunningham with his rebounding has been pretty effective. He's just kind of a pro's pro. I think it also matters on the contract. You know, whoever is willing to come back cheaper and on the short-term deal, either guy coming off as, you know, the back of the bench type of dude to have in a rotation in case you need him is perfect. You know, they yeah. don't need to play big minutes, just having him around. And it might be, you know, either guy I think it would be willing to take that role and be kind of a leader for the team. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think Quincy AC as well um, is an underrated locker room presence. We see a lot exactly. of the, the, the celebrations, the bench celebrations, a lot of them tend to spurn, um, tend to come from, Quincy AC with his uh, with his gun celebration and, and the three point celebrations. So especially when you're on that sort of lower level contract, uh, locker room presence can't be understated in terms of how they sort of you know mentor how they are an impact as a teammate. Um, you know, despite the fact that these guys are making millions of dollars, you know, in in relative um, terms in relation to the NBA and and the tens of millions that some players are making, you know, those sort of intangible things that we don't see on the court. Uh, are certainly underrated. And uh, I feel like Quincy AC probably has Dante Cunningham in that department, but on court, um, Dante is certainly uh, a more productive player. So it's going to be interesting to see what they value and maybe if these guys have any sort of a market as well. Um, it's an interesting little p- tidbit to all the other little things that are happening for the Nets going forward. And roster space could be at a premium if you know the Nets were to make a trade on draft night and they have to take on more than one bad salary. You know, that could be a problem to bring back, you know, some of these guys. But talking about that draft night trades, uh, we're going to kind of go through all the trades that have been rumored out there already. You can kind of tell me what you think about them, if you think they're likely or what you would change. First off, the one that's probably created the most hype, and we kind of mentioned a little bit, Kenneth Reed in the 14th pick to the Nets for number 29 and either possible second round picks or Spencer Dinwiddie. What are your thoughts on this one and how would you like it to go down? That's my favorite one, Nick. Um, there's There's a part of me that really, really likes Kenneth Reed. Um, obviously his production has wavered, uh, exponentially since he signed that, uh, I think it's around a $14 million per year contract, uh, a few seasons ago. And obviously the Denver Nuggets uh, are trying to offer Nikola Jokic a max. They've got, uh, young superstars in Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. Uh, Harris is obviously already on a deal, but uh, Jamal Murray will be getting a contract soon enough. So they need to create that space. Paul Millsap's on a very lofty deal. Um, obviously it's with his age as well. So they can't fit. Uh, all these huge contracts. So Kenneth Farid, for me, fitting with the Nets, I feel like he'd be a, an okay starter. We talked about guys that can sort of provide great energy, can uh, run the floor, uh, can dunk like no other, and can rebound. Like Kenneth Farid kind of fits that. And I feel like he'd be a sort of project that would be Damari Carroll 2.0. Uh, I feel like he'd have a really productive season. And for me, that 14th pick would just be the cherry on top. Um, I, I think there may be other teams that would be willing to offer a little bit more. But that Spencer Dinwiddie contract and his production and his fit with Denver, I think, would be really, really nice. Um, his, his floor general abilities, uh, I think, usurp and are, and are better than Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, who aren't really natural sort of floor generals, natural sort of guys that can run the floor, space the floor, uh, and sort of make passes in that sort of sense. They're not natural point guards, where Spencer Dinwiddie certainly is, whether he's going to start or whether he comes off the bench for Denver Nuggets. So... Uh, there's a lot to sort of analyze there, but for me, this is one of my favorite ones coming out of Denver and, and coming out of the sort of uh, rumors on Twitter and such. But what are your thoughts, Nick? I like it too, Jack. I think, like you said, Farid would be a nice add to the bench. I think some good energy, run the floor. He reminds me of like he could be like a supercharged Reggie Evans. Yeah. that has more offensive ability to finish yeah. around the rim. 
So I think that'd be a guy, you know, I'd definitely be interested in. But like you said, I think there's other teams that might be willing to make it easier for, for the Nuggets. You know, unless they want to throw in Dinwiddie, which I'm unsure if they do. But if they do want to put Dinwiddie in 29, that's a pretty good offer. But like you said as well, there's going to be teams out there who are willing to make it easier for the Nuggets. And they might be willing to take on Fareed and Darrell Arthur or something along those lines where they can get a lot of cap off the books. Yeah, and Darrell Arthur obviously opting into his, I think, $7.8 million or somewhere around the $7, $8 million range uh, obviously makes things a little bit trickier for the Denver Nuggets. And there are teams who have more uh, room than our sort of $16, 17000000 million. You know, teams like the Sacramento Kings, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, these guys, uh, these teams have a, a heap of room, uh, a heap of assets and can probably take it on a little bit better. But I trust sort of what the Nets can do and the relationships that they're building in different front offices compared to like a Vlade Divac, you know, if you're going to be making a deal, I'd much rather be making one with uh, Sean Marks. But at the same time, there may be teams who are thinking that they can sort of swindle uh, exactly. a, a guy like a Vlade Divac. So they're probably calling him a couple of times. It's like, yeah, maybe just chuck in, who knows, chuck in De'Aaron Fox or something. <laughs> there might be things where people are just completely uh, trying to just, you know, get the best for their team. Uh, and Sean Marks was obviously going to be doing the same, but there might be more likely sort of trades that could be happening. And a lot of the talks that you're going to be mentioning uh, around Charlotte and, and Dylan's brought up plenty uh, as well. Um, and I feel like those may uh, have a higher possibility. But for me, any of these, to get in the teens, like I mentioned on the last off-season pod about the draft, uh, I'm salivating at the prospect to get into the teens because uh, it's since I've been a, a huge net supporter, we have not had a teens pick yet. So, I mean, if you want to count D'Lo, but uh, at the same time, our own sort of teens pick. So um, are there any other thoughts that you had sort of on this uh, Denver trade, Nick? Um, I think, like you said, Jack, you know, you're pretty spot on with everything on the trade. I think, um, it, it, the only thing that would really matter too, is maybe the Nets would sweeten it a little bit more. If hypothetically there was a player at 14, if the trade's not made before the draft that they're like, all right, you know, this guy we really want, maybe we'll sweeten up the deal because this guy dropped the 14 and he's the guy we want. But you mentioned yeah. another trade possibly with Charlotte, you know, Dylan's also thrown a couple of trades at us, but the big one that's out there is uh Dwight Howard, the 11th pick for the 29th pick Damari Carroll and Rondé House Jefferson. What are your thoughts on this one? Dwight Howard, finally a Brooklyn net. Wowee. It's, it's taken long enough. <laughs> it's taken long enough, hasn't it, mate? Um, I mean, I, I've been a big Dwight supporter in the past and I've, I've appeared on pods with, on the outlet with you and Corey. And I've, I've, I've been a, an advocator of his in terms of his, he had quite a nice season as well. Um, his rebounding. Um, I, I feel like Steve Clifford was a was the perfect coach for him to sort of get something out of him this season. Obviously, he just doesn't fit the the current iteration of the NBA. And does he stunt the growth of a guy like a Jared Allen? Who knows? But at the same time, uh, Clint Capella did play behind Dwight Howard in the past. And we've, we've seen what's happened from him. Dwight Howard isn't going to be a long-term piece. He's just got a couple of years left on his deal. Um, and obviously, they're wanting to get rid of that. Um, so, uh, Damari and Rondé as well. Uh for us, that leaves us super weak uh, around that sort of wing depth uh, that we were talking about earlier in terms of our team needs. But you would assume um, that with that 11th pick, the Nets go, the Nets go out there and, and immediately uh, draft for that sort of need. Um, unless there is a guy um, who has severely dropped and had, um, may not be in that position. So this one certainly definitely intrigues me uh, in a number of ways. Uh, including the pick, as well as just the proposition of Dwight Howard, as well as the, from the Charlotte side, getting uh, a guy like Rondo Hollis Jefferson and a Damari Carroll. Yeah, and Dwight only has you know twenty uh, one year left on his deal, twenty three point eight mil. 
it's not like they'd have to deal with him a lot. And, and, you know, they could also buy him out if they wanted to, if they didn't want him in the locker room, because there's obviously been some issues mentioned with him. I think, like you said, getting at 11, there's like a good chance that somebody drops around 11 that you could get at that three or four position that could really be a building block moving forward. And like we said, with the Rondé trade, trading him kind of puts pressure on another team to worry about the extension, kind of takes some pressure off the nets. And Carroll's on an expiring deal. It's not a terrible move. I don't know if Charlotte would want to do it because in the position they're in, like losing that 11 pick when you're, you don't really have cap space moving forward. Like, how are you going to get better? Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but Mitch Kupchak, we know who has just been, um, Moskov and the well dang uh, signings. Exactly. Uh, and obviously there was a lot of conjecture about his, uh, signing when it came out, when Michael Jordan, uh, decided to make that decision, uh, moving on from Rich show. Uh, I'm not a big Mitch Kupchak fan. Um, obviously, uh, we're, we're reaping the dividends of that um, wonderful deal with Mozgov right now. But if, if that were to be the case, um, I think Mitch Kupchak has a sort of short-sighted view of the of the current NBA. Obviously, maybe um, his age maybe uh, influences that. But he also is a decent drafter uh, in terms of the assets that he was able to get um, in terms of the picks when he was with the Lakers. So I feel like you're better off as a Charlotte fan. I'm sure Dylan's listening to this and would be advocating for it. Why would you get rid of a pick uh, in that sort of sense? Um, and maybe they try and change that to a Nicholas Batum. But I don't think the Nets do that because he has so long left on his deal. Um, yeah, the he's and- too bad. His contract is horrendous. He's got 24 this upcoming year, 25, then 27 on a player option for the third year. That yeah. would just handicap you. It's horrible. And it, and if maybe that has maybe one or two years less, then the Nets, you can talk yourself, and I've certainly talked myself into the fact that, look, he's an okay wing. He's played some decent basketball. If he's healthy, you know, he can certainly provide something. And he would probably fit. If he had a one-year deal and he had the similar, uh, that one year, that 24, 25, or 27, uh, and it's only one year left, I, I could talk myself into the fact that, look, he's going to provide something for you, provide a need, as well as getting uh, an ass- a young asset. You know? But yeah, the length of the contract, uh, null, it makes that uh, whole decision null and void. So um, I-, I would be surprised if uh, they do anything in relation to Nicholas Batum. But from the Charlotte side as well, I- I've heard you know when uh, we were tagged in things by Dylan, uh, some Charlotte fans coming out and saying like, what's the point of getting a Rondo Hollis Jefferson, a guy that you know can't necessarily shoot fleas, threes, has a, not necessarily a, a, a super similar skill set, but um, is similar in ways to a guy like a Michael Kidd Gilchrist who can defend uh, but can't necessarily shoot. Um, so there's sort of fit issues there that I'm sure Charlotte fans may be worrying about. But, you know, if the Nets make the right deal and we were able to get a Dwight and that 11th pick, then uh, everything is gravy for us as Nets fans. Yeah, no, that would be a big thing, especially because Dwight's expiring and they wouldn't really be giving up a lot of assets. Like you said, the Batum thing, though, no chance. I mean, Marvin Williams, I would consider at 14 this year, a $15 million player option for next year. And he seemed the Nets also had interest in him when he signed that deal with Charlotte in the first place. But uh, looking at there's honestly been a lot of trade rumors. Another one that's popped up has been the Bucks trading us John Henson in the 17th pick for Damari Carroll and possibly the 29th pick or a second round pick. What are your thoughts on this one? And Henson has 10.5 on this year and then 9.7 for the next year. Yeah, look, it's not horrible. And Henson is a starter on a, on a playoff franchise team. And, you know, we made the move with them, um, with Rashad Vaughn and Tyler Zeller uh, earlier in the season. So there is a history there of the two uh, front offices working with each other. And, you know, I, I feel like both sort of franchises were able to get something out of it. You know, the, um, we also got that sort of second round pick too. So uh, there may be whether, obviously, um, the, the, the feelings are amicable between the two sort of front offices. There may be talks happening right now in, in relation to that. But 
I would obviously rather have the higher pick, but Henson's contract uh, in terms of the amount, um, certainly, but the length is one thing. Like, you don't want him on your books for too long, whereas Dwight's there for one year. And to be honest, look, for as much as everyone hates Dwight, Dwight and D'Lo, there's some marketability opportunities there. Um, the Nets had some uh, really low attendance in terms of the Barclays Center this year. Um, and obviously, I wasn't able to get to any games, so I'm a part of that problem. But I'm in... The, yeah, Jack, uh, come on. You need to fly over here more. I'm in <laughs> like, Leave me alone, guys. I'm doing my part. I'm making a podcast with um, with the Nets alumni in, in, in Mr. Fay. But yeah, there, there's certainly opportunities there if you're comparing the two. Um, if you were to rank the... I mean, maybe... We'll, Let's rank all these different ones once we get to the end. But right now, I prefer the Charlotte one over the Bucks one. What do you think, Nick? I think this one depends on giving up the 29th pick. Yeah. If I was just trading Damari Carroll and taking 17 and John Henson, which I honestly am not – I, I don't mind John Henson. I think he could be a solid backup big, similar skill set to Jared Allen in a way. Long, lanky, can finish the oop, can block shots. Not a really tough dude, but – if they were to get the 17th pick without giving up the 29th pick and then having that in their cupboard as well, you know, having two first-round picks would be big, and then they could have the opportunity to move up even a little bit more. I think that'd be huge. If they have to put in 29, I don't like it as much, but still, Henson's contract wouldn't even be that hard to move probably the next year if you only have it on a 9.7 mil. I'd probably, I like this trade. I don't really mind it because I think 17th is, and without, you know, isn't a bad thing. You're not taking on a huge contract. Yeah, and some of the guys that we've been talk- we talked about on the uh, draft pot at 29, you know, Grayson Allen, Dante DiVincenzo, Mo Wagner, um, if we were to get, have one of those guys as well as the 17, then that just creates uh, two possible starters, you know, um, you know, role players, uh, maybe even, you know, uh, above-level starters. You'd rather have more young assets going forward than not. Uh, we saw what happened when we gave up the 27th pick, which turned into Kyle Kuzma for LA. Uh, a lot of um, NBA pundits give the Nets a, a heap of grief about that, but who's to say that the Nets would have even taken Kyle Kuzma at that number as well? So uh, we're certainly getting plenty of flack for that, but you know, plenty it, of it, other teams missed on Kuzma, so I don't even worry about that. Yeah, and it, it's not something that keeps me up as night as a Nets fan by any stretch. At, but I think you do make a, a very good point about you know that 29th pick. You know, it, it's it's going up 12 spots in the draft um, to to give up. Um, those assets with Damari Carroll as well. Is it worth it in the end? Is the player going to be that much better? Um, do they feel that much more of a need? If someone drops, who knows? Um, obviously, these are questions that uh, the front office uh, are, are debating on a hour-by-hour basis. Exactly. I think it's you know all about who falls. And then also, like you said, the 29 pick, if it's involved, then it makes the trade a little bit harder. But if you're getting another pick without giving up a pick or only giving up second-round picks, I think you feel pretty comfortable making the trade. Another team, they haven't been directly related to the Nets, but it's just kind of you could put it together. The Wizards' 15th pick and then all one of their big salaries they have. Maybe it's a Jan Mahimni or somebody along those lines where they're just trying to open up some cap space because they're in some big trouble. Yeah, or a Jason Smith, uh, a guy who's opted in as well for his deal and is just a non-productive NBA player. Jan Mahimni's deal is just yuck, Nick. Like, it's, it's, it's one of the worst deals in the NBA right now. Um he may add something uh, in the right situation, but I feel like, you know, he, he's getting paid some big money. And to have him and Mozgov on the same books uh, would be uh, hard to swallow. Um, but if you're getting the 14th pick for it, and that is a, a really nice deal. Anywhere above 15, you know, you could talk yourself into a guy. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell went 13. You know, Kawhi Leonard was in that range. Jonathan Tukumbo was in that range. Uh, I'd back the Nets into turn, you know, a, a 15th pick, a 14th pick into a, a near superstar 
judging by our sort of uh, player development. So uh, seeing what we've done with you know mid twenties picks, you know Jared Allen could be a superstar. Who knows? Um, so the only thing for me is that what are the Wizards going to be uh, making us take on? Um, Mahimi seems the most likely thing, but you know out of all the players, you know we talked about how we talked about Batum uh, minorly. Uh, we talked about Henson. Um, I'm going, you know, in terms of production, Mahimi can't do much, and his contract is probably the worst out of him, Henson, and Howard as well. So there's a lot of sort of things with the the Washington Wizards. Um, they've got a lot of issues going forward, and I feel like we're probably in more of a position of power in that sense because they wanted to get off some money to sort of attract another sort of third superstar, whether that be like a DeAndre Jordan, DeMarcus Cousins, or the like. Yeah, and they do have other bad contracts as well. Like you said, Mahimni's probably the worst contract we talked about. Gortat's at 13.5 mil uh, expiring. Markeith Morris is 8.6. And then you said Jason Smith, 5.4. And even Jody Meeks at 3.4. I think any of those guys in a combination they'd like to get rid of. And all of them except Mahimni are only expiring deals. So I think even if a combination of two of them of something wouldn't be terrible for the Nets to take on. No, not at all. And I'm sure um, Nick won't like me. Um, my co-host Nick of the JBT Paul won't be like won't like me criticizing his team, but he gets enough time on our podcast to talk about the Washington Wizards in a positive light. So it's about time uh, that it's nice to see that the Nets are in a a more um, amicable position uh, than the Washington Wizards because it it gives me a position of power when I'm podcasting with my fellow uh, Aussie brethren. <laughs> yeah, on JVT, you can go at them a little bit, especially if the Nets win another trade like they did with the Jared Allen one. But through <laughs> that, through that. So, um, uh, and then just like another one, you know, I'm just throwing out trades out there. Obviously, they got the Portland or Philadelphia. Portland has 24. They have a ton of bad contracts. Uh, Philly has uh, Jared Bayless, who they'd like to get rid of. Another uh, contract, I've been, another trade that I was just thinking up, would maybe moving something with the Clippers, you know, taking on Gallinari, getting that 13th pick in some type of deal, maybe sending 29 and Rondé House Jefferson back. It'd be something to consider. It'd certainly be something to consider. Um, but it seems like the Clippers right now, uh, the direction that they're taking, uh, I'm a big fan of. You know, I've written a couple of articles for OTG Basketball uh, about the Clippers. Uh, I've got, uh, I like to think that I've got a decent amount of knowledge about them. They've got like, I like a Tobias Harris and the most entertaining player on and off the court in Boban Marjanovic. Um, <laughs> I just like what the, the Clippers are doing. And I don't think uh, that we would be able to swindle them in such a way that they would give up their picks. I feel like that they're more likely to use those assets for themselves to sort of package up. Um, we talked about, I think, uh, on what I think it was the Pacific Division preview, um, them sort of trying to get up and get a look at Doncic or a guy a bit higher in that sort of five to, to eight range um, with those sort of two picks that they've got. And there are teams that are talking about drafting down. Um, so uh, I feel like, you know, if we're going on likelihood, um, I feel like the Clippers certainly probably aren't as, as much on the radar. Though the Portland that you did mention, you know, we made the deal with them with Alan Crabb. Um, so there is that sort of history there. When you have the history with the team, you know, it probably does make deals uh, that little bit easier. But um, what are your thoughts on all these sort of rumors going around there? Um, I mean, I think what it means is the Nets are pretty likely to trade up in the draft. You know, I think it's almost a guarantee that they're, I would say I'd put it, I, Corey asked me on a previous show, I said 60%, but I'm leaning more towards like 70, 75%. We see a Nets draft day trade. You know, it yeah. just seems they're connected to so many different teams and their willingness to move either Rondé or Spencer and the 29 pick to move up, I think makes it a real possibility. But one more trade, Jack, do you think there's, obviously this is kind of like a dream. Is there any way they make a move with Memphis to take on Chandler Parsons in that number four pick? 
Oh my god, it's been, it's the one that I've been dreaming about, Nicholas. I wake up thinking about number four. It's four all day for me. It's four, <laughs> four, 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 four. It's my favorite number right now. Um, I can't see it happening because I think one of the Nets daily writers who is uh, GNYR, I can't remember specifically, but he's awesome. He's a great follower and, and a lot of the stuff that he's been doing in the off season, um, certainly check him out. Um, he mentioned the fact that similar to uh, some of the other packages with like Denver and such, other teams are likely to be able to offer that a little bit more. Um, you know, whether it's a worse off team that can provide some better assets or take on some even extra uh, uh, other money uh, and then sort of give out uh, another sort of asset in that sense. Um, it, there's a possibility, Nick. Um, there's also a possibility that the Nets could get Kawhi Leonard. Um, <laughs> there's always a possibility. There's always a possibility in today's NBA. It's um, a, a wild and wonderful off season, and it's it's barely just begun. Um, for, for any other teams, and now that's a, a, it's nice to sort of see the Nets uh, in these sort of uh, rumors and such, because you know in years past um, we were sort of an afterthought in a lot of these things. So it's it's nice to sort of see our names around those sort of rumblings. Cat flexibility does a lot for you. <laughs> does that? It does that, and then some. Yeah, I mean, the best case scenario for this to even possibly happen would depend on what Memphis wants. You could probably throw out a package of like Jeremy Lin, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Spencer Dinwiddie, number twenty nine, and then if you were able to acquire another pick in the teens, you know, yeah. trading Damari Carroll in that Bucks deal possibly or something along those lines. But unless you had another pick in the teens, the package with some of the other stuff you have, I don't think you can make the trade. What about um, moving on from the draft stuff? Actually, Jack, what was your favorite draft one, draft trade? Yeah, see, for me, my favorite one is obviously the number four one and then the Denver one. Um, and then we'd probably go, obviously, for me, it's the, the, the number around the picks. I like the Denver one because I think uh, the pick as well as Fred would be nice. Uh, then I'd probably go Charlotte because I love that number 11, uh, legs 11. And then Dwight Howard finally in the Nets uniform. Um, and then obviously the likelihood of the, of the Bucks and Wizards ones goes a little bit less. But Henson can obviously do some nice things, as I mentioned. Do you yeah. have any uh, I like the Freed one. I like the Freed one. I Like but, you said, you kind of hinted at maybe they could kind of refresh for Reed like they did with Damari Carroll. And I would see that as a real possibility. I like him coming off the bench with just high energy defense, kind of giving you some – if you were to lose Quincy AC, you bring in another energy type guy, obviously – Fareed doesn't have much of a skill set offensively. He doesn't shoot threes or anything, but he's just high energy, sets good screens, rolls to the rim, can finish oops. He'd be a good piece to play with D'Lo, Dinwiddie, or Karis Levert, or Jeremy Lin. You know, somebody yeah. who can just finish the oop. He'd be like, I would I would play him at a small ball five because I think his skill set is somewhat similar to Jared Allen in a way, obviously without the length and the wingspan and probably not the rim protection, but offensively as a rim roller, he just like, I, I Fareed is a player that honestly, like I used to really like a lot. And after, I want to say it was like a, four or eight years ago in the Olympics or in the like team USA, he had like a huge team USA and he was just like such a dominant force. And then it, everyone yeah. expected him to be like this all-star type player. And it just, things went downhill from that. Is it somewhat Denver in the situation them getting in all the bigs? I'm not really sure, but I think Fareed could be a guy that, like you said, the Nets could kind of save. Yeah. And I, and I think we've, we've proven that with Damari Carroll, as I mentioned, and you know, if we were to somehow turn Kenneth Fareed into another asset, as is being talked about Damari Carroll, um, that'd be something, that'd something be that the, 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 the Nets wizardry, um, part of my pun is just something, um, that, that is to be marveled at. Yeah. That was a subliminal shot at Nick and JBT. But yeah. <laughs> Not not um, very subliminal, very liminal. <laughs> um, but talking other trades, not draft day trades, obviously the Nets have been tied to guys with big contracts. We've heard names like Otto Porter, Andrew Wiggins. What are your thoughts on anything like one of those guys coming to Brooklyn? 
Yeah, look, Otto Porter um, obviously has the history. Um, us and the Sacramento Kings uh, sort of forced uh, Wizards' hand in that sort of sense uh, to sort of pay that deal. Um, his, his season was low-key pretty good uh, without being outstanding. Um, but when you're on that sort of amount of money, uh, you want to sort of see some high-level near all-star production. Um, but it's it's just le- it, the Wizards are obviously in a horrible situation. Sorry again, Nick, but um, not, <laughs> hashtag, sorry, hashtag sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I would prefer Porter just because uh, I, I think there's um, some sort of relationship there. Uh, Wiggins had some more of an upside and, you know, obviously being the number one pick, Maple Jordan, uh, whatever you want to call him. But uh, I just don't see, it for, for me, that was one of the worst moves that I saw um, the, the Timberwolves franchise could have made offering him a max contract because it just leaves him with no flexibility going forward in terms of Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns. But if, if they were able to get rid of him... Um, and the Nets were to take him on. Um, he's certainly got uh, a ridiculous untapped potential and will probably go up to uh, being probably D'Lo and Andrew Wiggins. That's a real team that you could build around right there. But um, it, it's certainly uh, interesting to think about. Yeah, I think in any of these deals, you probably want to send Alan Crabb back. You know, send Crabb back in the other way, you know, with his $18 million to kind of fill out the contract. It really depends on either of these teams. They're just trying to get pure salary dumps or just a little bit excuse me, a little bit of salary off the books and kind of move forward with some different pieces. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's going to be, uh, obviously, Andrew Wiggins at that $29 million, uh, Otto Porter at that 25 mil. You don't want to take on that salary and sort of, you know, leave yourself with no flexibility going forward. Obviously, um, like we mentioned before, flexibility uh, is is key, especially in, in the current climate of um, the salary cap. So I don't think, I don't see the Nets doing anything drastic or, um, you know, we don't, we're not run by Billy King these days anymore, Nick. So, well, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. I think it would have to be a perfect deal where either they're getting some type of asset or they're getting some of their own salary off the book. But like you said, either deal is going to hamper their long-term flexibility. What about, I've heard, this is just rumblings on like, you know, trade piece I've seen for other people in a scenario where one of these teams is trying to get rid of one of their stars. Now, this isn't necessarily like a lock to happen, but I just want your thoughts on it. If something like a Kevin Love or a CJ McCollum came available for a cheap deal, especially Love, because I could see the Nets kind of helping the Cavs getting off salary and sending them some decent young pieces. What are your thoughts on either of these two? Yeah, look, if I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Love. I've always been a huge fan of Kevin Love. I don't think he gets the kudos he deserves. Um, I My respect for him went through the roof um, when he uh, came out and, and talked about his mental health issues, obviously being a person that's gone through that myself. Um, it just made me empathize with him on an even higher level. And his character is underrated. And his on-court uh, play is underrated. Um, he needs to fix up that fade a little bit before he gets to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, he does. He needs a new barber ASAP. That was that, terrible. That shit is okay in Cleveland, mate. That, that it, it works over there. But, you know, we've got a barber literally at Barclays Center for you. So come on <laughs> c- come on over. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Love. Um, so I would certainly uh, not be adverse to that. And, and CJ McCollum, um, an uh, all-star uh, level player. Um, they've obviously been rumblings around Damian Lillard as well, a guy that we should have on our books right now, Nicholas. Um, Thanks, Billy King. Hey, yeah, no, Gerald Ross rub- was really worth it. Totally. I eh? hate to rub some little wounds, Nets fans, but it's uh, it's the only way we can deal with our emotional grief. Um, but uh, if I'm ranking, I wouldn't mind Kevin Love in the current system. Um, I, I think that he fits perfectly next to Jared Allen. Um, I think that he adds a lot of value. Um, he's shown what he can do on a sort of lower-level team in Minnesota. And playing with a guy like a D'Lo, whereas I think CJ McCollum playing alongside D'Lo may stunt the growth of some of our guards. Um, 
that's not to say that if either of these guys is on the market, I wouldn't absolutely leap at them. And I'm sure Sean Marks, as I mentioned uh, a million times, is making calls about, you know, what do you guys really want for him? Um, obviously, uh, those pieces will be dictated a, a lot by what things happen with, with LeBron and such. And um, we've talked about that uh, ad nauseum uh, on the on the outlet, especially of Corey with his segment uh, of LeBron Watch. So uh, who would you rather have? I, I want to hear what your, what your thoughts are. Oh, this is tough, honestly. I mean, I don't know if the Nets would make the move because they're not this far on their timeline. But if the deal came and it was a solid piece and it really worked out, McCollum is 26, K-Love is 29. I think that does have a little bit of impact. But like you mentioned, you know, we have a surplus of guards. I would assume you'd have to, you know, it'd be a bigger deal, I think, for CJ. Where Kevin Love, you could, you could kind of make the deal work out a little bit more because the Cavs are going to be like literally just trying to clean house and get off bad contracts where the Nets could send them a couple pieces to kind of keep them level and at the same time give them some relief. Like hypothetically, let's say the Nets took on Kevin Love and then J.R. Smith, and they yeah. just bought out J.R. because I don't think they want that in their locker room. Or even if they were, you know, I'm thinking like super big trades here, and I'm thinking asset-wise, they like even did like George Hill or something, and George Hill's next year of his deal is not guaranteed. I think it's only guaranteed for $1 million. So you technically could buy him out as well. And then – the Nets could send over something like Rondé, Dinwiddie, 29 or whatever. It depends on what they want to do. They think Kevin Love can help them that much. I'm kind of really intrigued by Kevin Love because I'm, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of the guards that we do have, and I believe in their potential. At that four spot, that stretch four, he'd be a really nice piece uh, next to Jared Allen. You know, but his age doesn't necessarily match up. That'd be my concern. Yeah. Is, you know, age-wise, he's just a little bit too old. Yeah, and uh, I think his game will age okay. Uh, but again, doesn't necessarily fit the timeline. But Nick, uh, Julius Randle's been getting a lot of uh, a, a lot of sort of Nets love uh, on Twitter and on the uh, Nets Daily sort of uh, fan boards. Um, what are your thoughts on Julius Randle um, as being a, a, maybe a piece of the, the Nets target, whether it's in free agency or through trade? Uh, not a big fan, to be honest. I, I love his game, but I think with Jared Allen, like I think Randle's best position is the five. And playing him at the four and him not having a three-point shot and then having Jared out there, it doesn't really necessarily fit the system perfectly. I like, you know, Randall's game, and I like the way he's developed into a player. But I don't know if he's a great fit next to Jared Allen, unless, unless you're very confident Allen's going to become a lockdown three-point shooter. Not even lockdown, but like 34 35% three-point shooter. Yeah, especially with Ronda Hell Jefferson right now, a guy who can't stretch the floor either. Um, Julius Randle uh, had a really, really great season with the Lakers, and I'm sure... Um, but they're the team to watch, obviously, when we were talking about in uh, the uh, Pacific Division preview of the offseason. So Julius Randle will certainly be uh, a key figure in what happens there. But um, a guy that I've also seen mentioned, Nicholas, is Tyler Johnson, Justice Winslow, those sort of guys. Miami have a lot of money on their books. Um, we've shown some love to Tyler Johnson before. Um, obviously, I'd be a huge fan of Justice Winslow. But tell me about these guys. What do you think that they're – is there any chance that we see – Tyler I'm Johnson. good on the Tyler Johnson contract. That's all them. They can keep that. They wanted True us that. to have it in the first place. They could have let us sign him, but I'm not <laughs> taking that now. I'm not 19.2 next year. No chance. Sorry, Tyler Johnson. You're a good player, but at best in this team, you're probably a backup. Winslow, like you said, I really like Winslow, and I think his game is on tap. There's still plenty of potential for him. Miami probably knows that, so they're kind of holding it over you know, other teams' head, but I would not take that on. And then most of the other bad contracts on Miami are like three years. You know, yeah. and they're over 10 plus, like you could maybe talk yourself into taking on a Kelly Olynyk or something like that, but, or a James Johnson, but still, I don't think you really want to. And you're definitely not taking on Tyler Johnson. And I feel like Miami already, 
already has like some disdain for the Nets because of like them sitting against the setting their players against the Bulls like two years ago. Yeah. And they're and then they're probably mad about the Tyler Johnson contract. So they're not gonna like make the deal for the Nets. I feel like any trade the Nets try to negotiate with them, they're gonna be like, all right, take Tyler Johnson. Yeah. Like, nah, we're good. Yeah, Pat Riley probably isn't Sean Marks' biggest fan. And you don't want to be on Pat Riley's bad side, let's put it that way. But at the same time, yeah, the Nets uh, certainly know what they're doing and know how to uh, negotiate when it comes to lots of different teams. But um, were there any other trades that you thought were, could be possible, Nick? Uh, you know, like you said, Jack, Sean Marks is a sneaky man. There's there's plenty of trades that we didn't mention. I mean, we touched on about 10 of them, but I'm sure there's a couple that we didn't even think about that are in discussion right now. Yep. But let's, let's talk free agent targets. I'm going to give you a guy, and you tell me what you think about him with the Nets and how he would fit. Mario sure. Hazonia. Uh, lo- love Mario, uh, Super Mario. Uh, I think he has awesome potential. We've talked about him on a uh, mid-season uh, trade deadline pod in terms of acquiring him instead of like a, an Okafor. For me, uh, he has a huge amount of scoring upside, scoring upside, which I think that would fit so well with the Nets. Um, he may be a little bit of a liability on defense, but again, another former lottery pick. Um, for me, Super Mario, I like his mentality as well. I, I like his personality. I feel like he'd be uh, a nice locker room piece and would be uh, perfect. We were talking about timeline in terms of like Kevin Love and such. I feel like he'd fit perfectly with the with our timeline. Um, and while Jalil Okafor, we weren't able to sort of, and Stauskas weren't able to work out. I feel like there's something about Mario Hazonia um, that I feel like, you know, get him out of that uh, Orlando Magic franchise and put him in a situation where uh, it certainly fits a little bit better and he's allowed to flourish a little bit more, I feel like he'd relish that opportunity. Yeah, a lot of players have done well after leaving Orlando. You look at Oladipo, Tobias Harris. So I agree. I think Horzonia is one of the guys I'm really looking at. Unless the Nets have their eyes on something that I'm not thinking about, I think this is a free agent target you go for. You know, he's the ability to probably play a 3-4 tweener. The potential's still there, like you said, age 23, and he's probably going to be cheap. You know, you're going to be competing with other teams, but no one's going to throw big money at him. And I think the Nets can kind of unlock Mario. Yeah, I think that you make a good point about the sort of uh, the, the money that he'll he'll uh, sort of acquire on the market. Uh, it doesn't seem like it'll be a huge amount, whereas guys maybe like uh, Rodney Hood, Kyle Anderson, KCP that we'll have a chat about, they may get a little bit more. And in terms of uh, cap flexibility, uh, you don't want to be given too much money to any of those guys who haven't necessarily proved it or warranted it. What about uh, Davis Bertans? I don't mind Bertans. I think in a really underrated season, the San Antonio Spurs, uh, his three-point shooting is, is a real asset for us. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I, I would prefer to have, you know, I, I mentioned Kyle Anderson in there. I, I prefer to have Kyle Anderson. His defensive upside, um, he would probably be the automatically the Nets' best defender. And I really, uh, as, as good as Rondo Hollis Jefferson is, I really want a guy who is just an awesome defender to have on our team. Um, I feel like you need a defensive anchor. Um, Jared Allen, obviously, is that somewhat, um, but he's still only in his NBA infancy. So uh, if you're giving me a choice between Bertans uh, and Anderson, Anderson might cost a little bit more and the market may dictate a little bit more. But if we were to get Bertans on the cheap, yeah, um, give it to me every day of the week. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think Anderson and the Spurs are definitely going to keep, especially with the whole Kawhi situation, where Bertans, you might be able to kind of squeeze him away, but still, he's a restricted free agent, so it's hard to see him leaving the Spurs. I just like his ability to shoot the three ball. I think it'd be a nice add for the Nets. But what about Pat McCaw? We kind of talked about him a little bit on the Pacific NBA outlet preview, but what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Pat, um, and, and he's only 22 years of age. Uh, had a very much injury-riddled season. Um, we talked about him uh, quite a bit in terms of the Warriors preview. I, I think in terms of his age and 
I feel like that's a, an important part is is fit when it comes to uh, restricted free agents and any any free agent for that matter uh, and timeline. You know, draft, uh, you're looking more at just a guy that you want talent with. But when you're looking at acquiring players who have sort of proven themselves in the NBA, at least somewhat, you want them to be able to fit with your franchise, where it's going and going forward. Uh, I think Pat McCaw has a lot of nice elements to his game um, that he's shown in, in Golden State. And obviously coming from a winning organization, a quality organization, uh, he brings that sort of experience with him as well. Obviously, he's no Kevin Durant and he hasn't had the same effect on and off the court. But, you know, you can't um, deny the fact that that would certainly have an effect on, you know, uh, a franchise that's looking to build themselves into being uh, a winning one like the Golden State Warriors. So uh, I think he brings a lot of on-court and off-court possibilities that I think would fit really well with our Nets. Yeah, and it helps that the Golden State doesn't isn't going to have any cap space, most likely, especially if they're trying to add somebody in free agency. So they would be able to squeeze him away for a contract that's probably not too crazy. And like you said, he's shown flashes, still plenty of potential for him. He's another guy I think that will just benefit from hitting the gym a little bit. So I think McCall wouldn't be a bad piece to add. What about another – this is more of a cheaper piece, uh, Glenn Robinson the third. Yeah, Glenn Robinson the third. I'm sure Corey wouldn't be happy of you chucking in his name there, obviously, <laughs> and calling him a cheap sort of deal. Um uh, outstanding athlete, uh, outstanding athlete. And we've talked about um, the net sort of acquiring a guy who could sort of just uh, be a freak athlete in that sort of sense. Uh, Glenn Robinson III would certainly feel that sort of need. Um, he's shown glimpses uh, in terms of his sort of potential. Uh, and, and I think he, he would have to uh, be a decent enough fit. Um, back to the Pat McCall thing just quickly, Nick. Do you think the Nets would be able to keep uh, Harris while also adding in Patrick McCall? Yes, I do. I don't think McCall demand that much money, especially, and I feel bad for him that he had that big injury this season. He really didn't have a great season even before that, and he was kind of like really struggling shooting. So I think you could probably get him on the cheap. That's why I would kind of go after him, offer him like a decent deal. And, you know, he might want to work on his value and just sign a one-year deal, but he's restricted. So I believe it has to be a couple years. So I think the Nets could probably get him on a pretty good deal for themselves. That's fair. And And your thoughts on Glenn Robertson? I think you could get him on a one-year cheap deal because he's coming off injury himself, missed a lot of last season. But like you said, super athlete. Like, I think that's like the Nets kind of were missing a super athlete on the wing. Kind of add a guy like that and see if you can kind of get him to his full potential. Just having a you know the ability to throw down the ball like he can would just add to the team on the fast break. Yeah, totally. But uh, what about somebody like Avery Bradley? On like a short-term deal, you know, he's another guy who's going to probably look to boost his values coming off a rough season. The Nets did have some interest at the trade deadline as well. Look, I think uh, in terms of fit, Nick, um, it's it's perfect. You know, perfect 3 and D sort of guard, one of the best defensive sort of guys in the NBA, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, but at the same time, I think um, Bradley's uh, priorities will certainly lie elsewhere. I think he'll be looking to get uh, money as well as a winning situation. Um, I, I'd be surprised if he does consider the Nets. Obviously, um, the Nets have shown interest, um, but I'm not sure it would be reciprocated from his his end and his agent and his team's end. Um, but certainly a nice fit, but uh, I don't see a high likelihood of him being in a Nets uniform. The way I could see him landing with the Nets would be if it, you know he's looking for more money in a longer deal and then no one's really offering him and then the Nets have some cap left over and they're like, all right, we'll throw you a one-year deal for this much so you can build up your value. But like you said, he could be looking for a winning situation. What about somebody like Contavious Caldwell-Pope? The Nets had slight interest in him last year. He didn't have an amazing season and you know it's not like there's a ton of money on the market. Yeah, look, I didn't think his season was too bad. Maybe I'm a, I'm a, a bit of an optimist in terms of KCP's skill set. But I don't mind what he can do. You know, he's okay off the dribble as well. Um, you know, he can play make a little bit. I think he has a, a versatile enough skill set. 
Uh, and again, he'd probably be the next best defender if you insert him straight away. You know, that one-year deal, I think he would be looking for a bit more security. Um, after that, I think his management team, his agency would certainly be looking for that as well. So I feel like he'd be looking for a, a more longer-term deal. Um, and if his um, clutch management uh, fellow team, fellow mate, uh, and LeBron James goes to uh, Los Angeles, um, does his agency go, look, you can kick around here with LeBron. You, you know, we'll, we'll get our clutch bros all together. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I feel like he's one of the, the players that there's not enough talk about because um, I think he, he can do enough things and is a, a decent enough player in today's NBA that um, he'll get some um, enough interest. Yeah, he's a nice complimentary player. I think he's kind of a guy you can throw in multiple roles where you don't really need to give him a lot of touches and he can still play solid. But um, what about Belalika from uh, Minnesota? I believe he's restricted. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mentioned his name, uh, Bialica, in passing um, uh, earlier on in the pod. Uh, really, really good guy in terms of stretching the floor. Has some good size about him. Um, and I feel like Minnesota completely, um, namely Tom Thibodeau, completely mishandled him and his uh, entire situation uh, in terms of him being able to sort of have an impact for them. Um, and I feel like, you know, obviously Thibodeau did that with his entire bench. Whereas I think he'd be, he'd get plenty of time. It depends on what he prioritizes. Does he want to improve himself a little bit? Does he just want to get out there and play a bit of basketball? Because I think he could see some decent minutes um, with this net squad uh, in terms of his skill set. And uh, obviously defensively, um, it's not as great. Um, but, you know, in terms of three-point shooting ability, um, I certainly think he has plenty there uh, as well as, you know, nice size about him. Yeah, the only, I like I like his fit. Like you said, the only thing I worry about a guy like that is his age. You yeah. know, because he's only been in the NBA so long, you forget that he's actually thirty years old. Yeah, uh, and at the end of the day, though, if we're not signing him to a long term deal, um, it, it depends on what they he prioritizes exactly. and what the Nets prioritize. Like, do we want him? Well, obviously, he wouldn't be signed to a long term deal, but he just, does he just want to get out there and play a bit of basketball? You know, uh, get him on a couple of year deal or whatever, or maybe even a one year deal. Um, I feel like you know, there's a lot of these free agency uh, situations that, you know, obviously LeBron James, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard will be taught to death. But a lot of the guys that we've been mentioning, uh, I'm sure plenty of hardcore and Brooklyn Buzz listeners will be uh, intrigued to see about, especially if they're going to be landing on the net. Yeah, it's, and like you said, he would be a good fit. You know, and if they can get him to a team-friendly contract, that's a nice guy to have him off the bench long-term. You know what I mean? His game will age well. It's not like he's a super athlete or anything like that. No, not at all. Um, what about uh, Jeremy Grant from OKC? I love Jeremy Grant. Uh, I think he's the perfect stretch five. Um, I don't think he is necessarily a knockdown three-point shooter, but it seemed to be the times where I was watching OKC games, whenever the the team was playing well, he was knocking down shots and he was out there. Um, and I, I feel like he'd be perfect alongside uh, Jared Allen. But again, I feel like there'll be a lot of playoff teams that will be clamoring for his services and be looking to sort of uh, sign him up. And obviously, uh, even OKC will be looking to, to try and uh, lock him down, um, if they, especially if they see Paul George leave. Uh, Jeremy Grant would be absolutely perfect uh, for the Brooklyn Nets, but there'd be a lot of other teams that would be saying the same thing. I think he'll be uh, high on a lot of teams' radars. Yeah, he might cost a little bit too much for what they want. I think they'd rather yeah. keep the flexibility. And, you know, you could make the argument his skill set is somewhat similar to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. He's a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher, a little bit better rebounder, and probably can throw it down a little bit more. But like you said, he would fit nice with the Nets. They can just use a lot of pieces in different spots, obviously, when you win 28 games. But uh, Nerland's Noel. Yeah, this is one for me, Nick, that has um, been around quite a bit and has been around for, for an extended period. 
Nerland's Noel has all the potential in the world. Um, athleticism, dunking, nice in the pick and roll, great defender. Um, interesting to see if he could play as a starter or off the bench. Um, obviously, uh, as I've mentioned before, when your uh, most memorable moment for the season is eating a hot dog at halftime, <laughs> it's not necessarily the best thing. But I feel like in Brooklyn, if he was to be nurtured, but again, Jalil Okafor, is he going to be having words to him? It's like, look, dude, like, don't come here. Um, they might be in, in communication uh, in, in some sort of sense of the word if, uh, about their sort of relationship. Um, the, the Twitter burner saga with Brian Colangelo uh, had plenty of negative things to say about Nolan well in terms of his attitude and such. Has he turned that around? Um, the Nets certainly uh, have harped on the fact that they love to draft high-character guys. Is Nolan's Noel one of those guys? He has all the talent in the world, um, but at the same time, talent can only get you so far, especially in the NBA. Yeah, and I think it depends on how strong you think your locker room is. You know, if you're worried about a guy coming in and causing negativity, you know, someone's like a Noel, but if you have, you know, a strong locker room with Demar Carroll, Jeremy Lin, and you think the culture's fine, if he comes in with a bad attitude, the guys aren't going to allow it. You know what I mean? And, and worst thing, I think you sign him to a one-year deal or a short-term deal or give yourself like a team option for next year. I think, like you said, he has a ton of talent. It's not like any of the problems really over the last two years for him been on the court. It's been off the court, the attitude stuff. And I love his defensive potential and his defensive versatility. He's a guy that can really switch a lot, especially with great length and rim protection. And another guy, he would be like an ideal backup to Jared Allen. You know, similar skill set, do a lot of the same things, a lot of good length, a lot of good oops, a lot of good blocks. But talking about some of the bigger fish, you know, I'm not personally a big fan of these guys, but, you know, Nets Twitter, I, we got to talk about a little bit. <laughs> Aaron Gordon and Jabari Parker. Yeah, um, I feel like um, Flatbush and Atlantic, um, the the teacher provider there, would certainly be liking us talking about him. But uh, I like the fact that he's he's cooled um, his jets on them a little bit because uh, I, I don't like that they're fit. I don't want to give away money to guys that are unproven and have only shown flashes. Um, yes, there may be a team out there that is willing to, to give them that contract, but Jabari Parker, injury history, no thank you. Uh, Aaron Gordon, unproven, well, somewhat proven three-point shooter. Um, not proven in a winning situation, is it? No, not at all. And, you know, is he going to be, you know, your second or third best guy uh, on a playoff team? Um, I think if they weren't uh, demanding the money that they are, I'd be all for Jabari Parker and Aaron Gordon, but it's all about the money. Um, I feel like it's a saying you can probably say for life, uh, but <laughs> it's definitely all about the money when it comes to, to those guys and, and the situation that they're in. And I'm sure they're thinking about that because they they probably do uh, deserve it uh, somewhat, but not for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I agree. I think um, Aaron Gordon for sure, because I almost guarantee he's going to get a max and Orlando's probably going to match. And then Jabari Parker, you know, if some people are everyone going to be like, oh, we don't want to, you know, pay him. We could get him for a cheap deal. I would consider it. But I have a good feeling that either Atlanta or Sacramento is going to offer Jabari big bucks. Yeah. And Atlanta, I don't mind it. You know, trying to have a fly. They've got that much cap space. Sacramento, um, you know, I feel like that's a situation that's fraught with disaster. But that's their problem and not ours. Exactly. Another bad team, you know, and they just, yeah. they can, we can, we can know the Nets are better than them at least. <laughs> and then, yep. like you said, for the Hawks, it makes sense. You know, you can swing and miss on some of these guys because you're not going to be good for a while. Similar to when the Nets started swinging a restricted free agency, the, the Hawks can do the same thing. Yeah. And I think even the Bulls might be in that situation as well, but I don't like that fit as much necessarily when you've got like Zach Levine, who's sort of uh, a guy who's in a similar sort of situation. So um, maybe not for, for Chicago, but yeah, the, the Hawks uh, make a, make a ton of sense in that sort of 
but maybe um, he wants to stay with the Bucks. But there have been a lot of rumblings. Uh, yeah, uh, the relationship it. doesn't seem great with Milwaukee, but obviously I think some of that was Jason Kidd. Yes. But we'll see what happens with that. Any other free agents I missed, Jack, that you want to mention a little bit? Um, just one name, Nick. Uh, Montrezl Harrell. Um, I, I know Corey's been a huge fan of his. Um, obviously um, had a really nice season, I thought, with the Los Angeles Clippers. We mentioned him again on the Pacific uh, Division preview. Make sure you subscribe to the NBAL and as well as the Brooklyn Buzz. Uh, but what do you think about Montrezl Harrell? Does he fit any of the Nets' needs? Uh, I like his game, I do. But I don't know if they're looking to spend money at the four position. I'd rather see it from more of a stretch four type. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, if I'm going to spend money in free agency, I want it to be a starter type player, most likely, unless it's a cheap deal. And I don't think Harold's going to be cheap because it looks like the Clippers are pretty high on him. So I think it'd be hard to kind of snatch him up. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, he deserves um, something because he had a great season. And, you know, I feel like he's versatile enough and he's got some decent post moves as well. He does. But- but yeah, in terms of the, we don't really want uh, a post sort of offensive player. We want a guy who can sort of stretch the floor. Yeah. Any other big fish, you know, is there any chance on Paul George or anybody out there that the Nets could, you know, sneak up and, you know, grab somebody big? I believe Hoops Hype had him fourth in their team, their team's ranks uh, in their ability to get him. Uh, obviously him and D'Lo have the same agents um, and the agent has expressed interest for them to be on the same team. But uh, Paul George is certainly looking for a winning situation, and um, LA all day it seems like for, for Mister for Mister George PG thirteen. Um, yeah, especially now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I just I don't know. I the Nets are, I don't really necessarily want him either. Um, I feel like Paul George. Um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this to you on the buzz or on the outlet or on JBT. I feel like he's plateaued. Um, I, he's certainly. Yeah. Um, going to be a consistent all-star for the next couple of years. But he's not getting any better, and his athleticism has gone down, um, and his game has somewhat changed a little bit to being sort of uh, a def- more defensive sort of stopper. Maybe that was a situation in OKC as well. Um, I have the, I still think he's a top 30 player, top 20 player, uh, wherever you want to put him uh, in that sort of conversation. But um, I don't see him being... Uh, we saw him as a number one guy uh, in Indiana, and that didn't go so well. His best situation when he was when he was surrounded by guys like Hibbert, Hill, uh, Lance Stevenson, all at their best. So um, obviously LA with you know LeBron, Kawhi, and Chris Paul, uh, whoever you want to talk about. Um, we we talked about them ad nauseum on uh, the outlet. Um, so for me, yeah, Paul George would be nice, but uh, it ain't happening. Yeah, especially now with LA, I think there's a better chance he goes back to OKC. Uh, we can't end this pod without one last question, Jack. Is there any chance that our Brook Lopez reunion? Yes, Nicholas. I, I certainly think that there is. Um, they've got cap, enough cap. Um, maybe Brooke takes some sort of a discount. Maybe he doesn't have uh, the market that he wants. But we could see uh, the man who I have a jersey of and I have a T-shirt of and has been a, a long-standing Nets favorite, um, one of my favorite players of all time. I think that there's certainly, um, if, if especially if the Nets sort of strike out and you know they have all this cap space, it's just like, what are we supposed to do with this? And it's just like, let's give Brook Lopez a call. Um, I, I don't think that the the ending uh, in Brooklyn uh, last season, uh, pr- prior to last season, um, was uh, bad in, in, in any sort of... I don't think it left a sour taste in anyone's mouth. I think it was certainly uh, quite amicable. So uh, I think that there's a possibility. Um, in terms of number, I'll put a number on it because uh, we love putting numbers on it uh, <laughs> on the podcast. It, it, it makes things a little bit more tangible and you can always... Uh, you got the hot takes in that sort of sense. Um, I'm going to go 
19 percent because i can't bring myself to go to 20 percent. slightly less than a one <laughs> in five chance so uh, i don't know uh, that that might be the optimist in me i'll go 10 percent. i think like you said it's a possibility on like a one-year deal and brooke obviously is a true professional and he has no ill will towards the nets or anything like that and the only thing would be like you know is brooke cool coming off the bench for jared allen like you know what i mean it's yeah. it's a weird situation in that in that front unless you wanted to start both but then you're probably going too big but it's it's interesting. I mean, I also wonder, Jack, what would happen to my Jersey curse if Brooke was brought back? Because I imagine uh, the curse is, is it lifted? Is it temporarily suspended? I don't know what happens there. Yeah, if there's one guy to break the curse, it definitely would be Brooke, and I'd be happy about that. Actually, that. funny enough, I'm not recording. I'm at my mom's house for the weekend, and in my old bedroom, I have a Brooke Lopez fathead. So <laughs> maybe that maybe those are the signs, Nicholas. The signs are, are speaking to you already. Yeah. So, hey, we'll see what happens. But, Jack, amazing show. As always, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be ta- dropping off-season pods. You know, we wanted to give you one big off-season pod, but we're going to still be doing more. We're going to do a little bit more draft stuff as well. Thank you guys for all the support. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Give us some reviews. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.